Part Two, Chapter Four of Madame Bovary. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Icy Jumbo. Madame Bovary by Gustave Flaubert, translated by Eleanor Marks Aveling, Part Two, Chapter Four. When the first cold days set in, Emma left her bedroom for the sitting-room, a long apartment with a low ceiling, in which there was on the mantelpiece a large bunch of coral spread out against the looking-glass. Seated in her armchair near the window, she could see the villagers pass along the pavement. Twice a day, Léon went from his office to the Lyon d'Or. Emma could hear him coming from afar. She leant forward, listening, and the young man glided past the curtain, always dressed in the same way, and without turning his head. But in the twilight, when, her chin resting on her left hand, she let the embroidery she had begun fall on her knees, she often shuddered at the apparition of this shadow suddenly gliding past. She would get up, and order the table to be laid. Monsieur Homais called at dinner-time. Skull-cap in hand, he came in on tiptoe, in order to disturb no one, always repeating the same phrase, "'Good evening, everybody!' Then, when he had taken his seat at the table between the pair, he asked the doctor about his patients, and the latter consulted his as to the probability of their payment. Next they talked of what was in the paper. Homais, by this hour, knew it almost by heart, and he repeated it from end to end, with the reflections of the penny aligners, and all the stories of individual catastrophes that had occurred in France or abroad. But the subject becoming exhausted, he was not slow in throwing out some remarks on the dishes before him. Sometimes even, half rising, he delicately pointed out to Madame the tenderest morsel, or turning to the servant gave her some advice on the manipulation of stews and the hygiene of seasoning. He talked aroma, osmazome, juices and gelatine in a bewildering manner. Moreover, Homais, with his head fuller of recipes than his shop of jars, excelled in making all kinds of preserves, vinegars and sweet liqueurs. He knew also all the latest inventions in economic stoves, together with the art of preserving cheese, and of curing sick wines. At eight o'clock Justin came to fetch him to shut up the shop. Then Monsieur Homais gave him a sly look, especially if Félicité was there, for he half noticed that his apprentice was fond of the doctor's house. "'The young dog,' he said, "'is beginning to have ideas, and the devil take me if I don't believe he's in love with your servant!' But a more serious fault with which he reproached Justin was his constantly listening to conversation. On Sunday, for example, one could not get him out of the dining-room, whither Madame Homais had called him to fetch the children, who were falling asleep in the armchairs, and dragging down with their backs calico chair-covers that were too large. Not many people came to these soirees at the chemist's, his scandal-mongering and political opinions having successfully alienated various respectable persons from him. The clerk never failed to be there. As soon as he heard the bell he ran to meet Madame Bovary, took her shawl, and put away under the shop-counter the thick list shoes that she wore over her boots when there was snow. 
First, they played some hands at trente et un. Next, Monsieur Homais played écarté with Emma. Léon, behind her, gave her advice. Standing up with his hands on the back of her chair, he saw the teeth of her comb that bit into her chignon. With every movement that she made to throw her cards, the right side of her dress was drawn up. From her turned-up hair a dark colour fell over her back, and growing gradually paler, lost itself little by little into the shade. Then her dress fell on both sides of her chair, puffing out full of folds, and reached the ground. When Léon occasionally felt the sole of his boot resting on it, he drew back as if he had trodden upon someone. When the game of cards was over, the druggist and the doctor played dominoes, and Emma, changing her place, leant her elbow on the table, turning over the leaves of l'illustration. She had brought her lady's journal with her. Léon sat down near her. They looked at the engravings together, and waited for one another at the bottom of the pages. She often begged him to read her the verses. Léon declaimed them in a languid voice, to which he carefully gave a dying fall in the love passages. But the noise of the dominoes annoyed him. Monsieur Homais was strong at the game. He could beat Charles and give him a double six. Then the three hundred finished. They both stretched themselves out in front of the fire and were soon asleep. The fire was dying out in the cinders. The teapot was empty. Léon was still reading. Emma listened to him, mechanically turning around the lampshade, on the gauze of which were painted clowns in carriages and tightrope dances with their balancing poles. Léon stopped, pointing with a gesture to his sleeping audience. Then they talked in low tones, and their conversation seemed the more sweet to them because it was unheard. Thus a kind of bond was established between them, a constant commerce of books and of romances. Monsieur Bovary, little given to jealousy, did not trouble himself about it. On his birthday he received a beautiful phrenological head, all marked with figures to the thorax, and painted blue. This was an attention of the clerks. He showed him many others, even to doing errands for him at Rouen, and the book of a novelist having made the mania for cactuses fashionable, Léon bought some for Madame Bovary, bringing them back on his knees in the hirondelle, pricking his fingers on their hard hairs. She had a board with a balustrade fixed against her window to hold the pots. The clerk, too, had his small hanging garden. They saw each other tending their flowers at their windows. Of the windows of the village there was one yet more often occupied. For on Sundays, from morning to night, and every morning when the weather was bright, one could see at the dormer window of the garret the profile of Monsieur Binet bending over his lathe, whose monotonous humming could be heard at the Lyon d'Or. One evening, on coming home, Léon found in his room a rug in velvet and wool, with leaves on a pale ground. He called Madame Homais, Monsieur Homais, Justin, the children, the cook. He spoke of it to his chief. Everyone wanted to see this rug. Why did the doctor's wife give the clerk presents? It looked queer. They decided that she must be his lover. He made this seem likely, so ceaselessly did he talk of her charms and of her wit, so much so that Binet once roughly answered him, What does it matter to me, since I'm not in her set? 
he tortured himself to find out how he could make his declaration to her, and was always halting between the fear of displeasing her and the shame of being such a coward. He wept with discouragement and desire. Then he took energetic resolutions, wrote letters that he tore up, put it off to times that he again deferred. Often he set out with determination to dare all, but this resolution soon deserted him in Emma's presence. And when Charles, dropping in, invited him to jump into his chairs to go with him to see some patient in the neighbourhood, he at once accepted, bowed to Madame, and went out. Her husband, was he not something belonging to her? As to Emma, she did not ask herself whether she loved. Love, she thought, must come suddenly, with great outbursts and lightnings, a hurricane of the skies, which falls upon life, revolutionises it, roots up the will like a leaf, and sweeps the whole heart into the abyss. She did not know that on the terrace of houses it makes lakes when the pipes are choked, and she would thus have remained in her security when she discovered a rent in the wall of it. End of Part 2 Chapter 4